Welcome to Self Talk. I'm Rachel Astarte. I'm a psychotherapist, transformational life coach, author, educator, and shamanic practitioner. This podcast is about the self, what it means to us, what the voices in our head are telling us, and how to reacquaint ourselves with our highest self, our true self, in order to live the most fulfilling life that we can, not only for ourselves, but for the world around us. In the two previous episodes, we discussed what the self is and how we are connected to the world around us as an individual, but also as an integral part of everything in existence. Now, I know that's pretty heavy, so if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, I suggest you do that now and come back, and then everything will make more sense. But what's really interesting is that when we realize how expansive the universe is, and we only have our known universe and there's still stuff beyond that, presumably, Anyway, once we realize how expansive the universe is, we tend to feel insignificant. But I feel the opposite. I believe that you and your unique self, your energetic iteration in this life, contributes to the whole. If we were all insignificant, there would be no human contribution to life itself, and I don't think we really want to assert that. We don't want to go in the other direction either and claim that humans are the most important part of the universe, but we do have a significant place here. Geez, I mean, we came up with intentional art and architecture and music and science and all these really good things that humans do. We all contribute individually to the tapestry of the beauty of this experience. We, our vibrant and perfectly imperfect selves, are the colors that make it beautiful. So what's stopping us from stepping into that awareness and being perfectly happy with our lives as they are, or with ourselves as who we are? Sometimes it's the voices in our heads that are telling us that we are insignificant, unworthy, not quite there yet, not good enough, not smart or attractive enough, not young enough, not old enough, not valid. And these thoughts tend to come up seemingly without any prompting. Usually, it's when we are embarking on something new and exciting, possibly growth-oriented or life-expanding or life-affirming. Whatever it is, it usually involves some kind of risk toward adventure. So when we're about to take this life-expanding challenge, we get stopped in our tracks by these negative thoughts that come up automatically. And guess what? That's what they're called, automatic negative thoughts, or ANTS, A-N-T's. So for short, we call them ANTS. So what are ants? Automatic negative thoughts keep you from success, either professionally or personally. They're the voices in your head that say you're not good enough or you haven't tried hard enough. And these are prompted by what's called cognitive distortions. And cognitive distortions are irrational, unhelpful thought patterns that keep us in these negative mental loops. These continuous loops also lead to depression and anxiety. Cognitive distortions, by the way, were first studied extensively by the psychiatrist and founder of cognitive therapy, Aaron Beck. And he's also the first one who noticed automatic thoughts cropping up in his depressed clients. And the nature of those thoughts fell into three categories. There were negative ideas about themselves, negative ideas about the future, and negative ideas about the world at large. So this is also known as the cognitive triad. The longer these thoughts are left unaddressed, the more likely they will feel real. So some of this may seem very familiar to you. What are cognitive distortions? Let's look at a few um, of the classics. And I'd like you to listen to them and think, hmm, how much of this applies to me? So a big one is labeling. 
So instead of saying, I made a mistake, you attach a negative label to yourself. Like I'm a jerk, I'm a loser, or I'm unlovable. But what's important to note here is that you are not the things you do, nor are you the things that happen to you. And we'll talk about labeling again in a little bit. Another cognitive distortion is the mental filter. So this is when you focus on a negative detail pretty much exclusively. So your vision of the reality around you gets blocked out. Uh, let's give an example. You have a presentation at school or at work, okay? Everyone likes it. But the professor or your supervisor or someone like that makes some suggestions for improvement, and that's all you hear. So you start obsessing about this, the critical comments, for days or weeks or whatever, and you ignore all of the positive feedback. That's called a mental filter. Another one that comes up a lot is discounting the positive. That's when you just simply reject positive experiences and you insist that they just don't count. So if you do a good job, you're telling yourself it wasn't good enough or anyone could have done the same thing. And even when you know you've done a good job, that cognitive distortion, discounting the positive, that automatic thought, says that your success is not genuine. Your achievements aren't as valid as other people's. So somehow, you're waiting for others to figure out you're a fake and expose you. Even though all these wonderful things have been happening to you, they don't mean anything. So what are they exposing you as? Well, as a failure. And that's called imposter syndrome. You're never good enough, but somehow you get away with it. And uh, that leaves you with this feeling of inadequacy and self-defeat. Another pretty popular cognitive distortion, should statements. I love these because they come up a lot in therapy. So this is when you tell yourself that things should be the way you hoped or you expected them to be. So something like, I should be married by now, or I should have a six-figure income, or I should have had a book published or gotten a raise or a promotion. So um, you should on yourself, as a teacher of mine likes to say, and that's no good. So you shouldn't do that. I'm kidding. But not really. You shouldn't do that. The next one is mind reading. So this is when you're not looking at the facts, but you're just deciding that someone is reacting negatively to you. So this happens in relationships a lot. So if I didn't get a kiss goodnight, that means my partner is mad at me and he's suppressing his anger and we're going to break up. That's how mind reading works. You just assume what the other person is thinking. Then there's emotional reasoning. You assume that your negative emotions necessarily reflect the way things are. So I feel guilty, that means I'm an awful person. Or I feel very inferior, that means I'm not as good as everyone else. Now those are just a few cognitive distortions. There are sometimes as many as 50, I think, and I can't even keep them all straight. But these are the highlights, right? I wonder if any of them seem familiar to you. I know that I've been guilty of at least all of them at one point or another in my life. So how and why do we have these automatic negative thoughts and where do they come from? Primarily, the voices in our heads are the ones we heard growing up. That makes sense, right? So our parents or our primary caregivers not giving us the verbal affirmation that we needed in order to thrive. Now, this isn't always done maliciously, but sometimes it is. Some caregivers are just outright abusive with their language, like you'll never amount to anything or who do you think you are? Sometimes caregivers do subtle damage by labeling, which is what we just talked about earlier, saying things without thinking what they really mean, like you're a bad kid versus you did something that was bad. 
Do you hear the difference? One is an identity, you are a bad kid, and the other is a mistake that can be corrected. You did something wrong, we can fix that. One is finite, the other is fluid. Fluidity is what we want, the ability to change our minds, literally, and we'll talk about that in a second. The important thing to note here is that it's patterning. The language we hear from our caregivers when we're young becomes our inner dialogue when we've grown up and those caregivers are no longer around. That's really important. What you hear growing up, you take to heart. And when those voices are no longer physically around, we continue the patterning by just keeping those voices in our head. And those become part of our automatic negative thoughts. Well, this sounds pretty depressing, Rachel. Yes, it does. But all is not lost. This is something that not a lot of people talk about, and that's why I'm going to talk about it here. What is the real purpose of automatic negative thoughts? And they do have a purpose. I think of ants as watchdogs. They're just barking and snarling and nasty on the outside, but they are parts of your psyche that are protecting you from failure, protecting you from getting hurt. They look out for you not wanting to repeat the terrible mistake we're used to hearing about from our caregivers. Now let's talk a little bit about changing that behavior or burning new neural pathways. So remember, these are voices in our head. They're moving through our brain. They are trailblazing paths in our mind that says, when you do this, that means you are no good or not good enough or whatever it is. So there is this concept you might have heard of called neuroplasticity, which means what it sounds like, that our neurological functions are plastic, they're movable, they're changeable. Dr. Eric Kandel won the Nobel Prize in 2000 by showing that through classic conditioning, the brain can be retrained. And one of the ways we retrain our brains, particularly when it comes to these automatic negative thoughts, is through the way we talk to ourselves. This is one of the ways that we deal with automatic negative thoughts. So what do we do when company comes over to the house and the dog starts barking? We tell the dog, it's okay, we're safe, it's okay, be quiet. And if you're really nice, you praise the dog, right, for doing a good job. Good boy. Great for watching out for us. That's kind of what we need to do with automatic negative thoughts. Say thank you and get back to your life. I'd like to tell you a little story that many of you may have heard of. It's a Cherokee parable, and it's about the two wolves. One evening, an elder Cherokee is telling his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of us. And he says, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. Now the grandson thinks about this for a minute and then asks his grandfather, Which wolf wins? And the elder Cherokee simply replies, The one you feed. So when the ants bark in your ear, say thank you and choose not to feed those thoughts 
They don't serve you. That's the key. So you might ask, are all negative thoughts bad? No. So let's look at that for a second. Let's say you want to do a 5K obstacle course race. You're 60 years old, not particularly trained, but you're in pretty good shape. So the voice in your head might say, you're too old to do this. You'll crack your head open on the first wall jump. That's what's going to happen. Now, if you're not training for the race, that voice is likely correct. You are too old to run an obstacle course race without proper training. You could hurt yourself irreparably. That's not good. Now let's say you want to change careers from project manager to Reiki healer. Same age. You get all excited about the studying and the ways you're going to help people. And then the voice in your head says, you're too old to do this. You'll be the oldest person in school. Maybe no one's going to want Reiki from a newbie who looks like they're about to retire, you know, on and on like this. Now, when the ants arise, you have to ask yourself that key question. Is this thought serving me? Is this thought worth feeding? Remember, those voices are trying to protect you. They love you. They want the best for you. But like your watchdog, who doesn't know for sure who's friend or foe, you have to let the voice in your head know. Asking, is this thought serving me, is the way to do that. With the obstacle race example, yes, your voice is protecting you from getting physically injured. There's nothing that says you can't begin proper training for the race, but if you don't train, that voice is serving you. With the corporate job turned healer scenario, your voice is a legitimate ant. It only serves to hold you back from what it perceives is failure. But you are the one to decide what's right for you, not the watchdog, not the ant. In that scenario, you can comfortably say, thank you for looking out for me. I got this. It may be scary, but I can handle it. Another way to lift yourself out of Antland is to change your perception about the thought. For example, who else might benefit from your choice? The choice your automatic negative thought is trying to prevent you from. Training for and running an obstacle race at 60 may inspire others to do the same. Changing careers to one of healing allows you to reach people in need of relief. So it's not all about you. It's about what you're giving back to our shared world family. So the message is, don't feed the ants. Eat them. Absorb them. Reintegrate them as part of your being. That way, you remain in control of them and not the other way around. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this topic or anything else self-related. You can always email me at rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, at selftalkpodcast.com. Until then, many blessings on your path. I'm Rachel Astarte. Thank you for joining me on Self Talk. Aho.